I think people can understand is somebody in financial hardship or not, but actually somebody's attitude to paying is very different. Why somebody will or won't pay, being able to have the ability to get into understanding that will add value. Hi, and welcome to Credit Shift. My name is Paul Sweeney. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer at Webio. This podcast will be about how to embrace the digital future of credit and collections and all things AI and technology. Join us for the conversations that matter around credit and collections. I'm Paul Sweeney from Webio, joined again by my co-host, Dan Blagovich of Optima Partners. We're speaking with Terry Franklin, EVP at Qualco Technology. Qualco has been delivering analytics-driven fintech solutions globally for two decades. Their services range from managing non-performing loans to data analytics and supply chain finance. Full transparency here, both Webio uh, and um, Qualco have been working together over the last year, so we're familiar with one another. So Terry, great to have you. With your expansive role at Qualco, integrating and innovating AI all across the supply chain finance domain, it, it must be complex, intricate, even ambiguous at times. I think it would be useful if maybe you could kind of share how you got on this AI journey and you know how you got here as opposed to just maybe talking about what you're doing today. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think it's probably worth saying you know, the use of analytics um, and deep learning neural networks isn't new. It's been around for some time. Um, I think what's changed is it's now the ability to develop machine learning and artificial intelligence and deploy it in real time or near real time. So that, that for me, the ability to have that processing power and the ability to apply it in a meaningful way is where the big difference is now. And I think from, from a Qualco perspective, uh, we look at analytics as an enabler, an enabler to making businesses run more effectively, an enabler to uh, better understanding the customers um, and, and the customers that our clients serve and being able to tailor things by predicting the behaviors of those customers, tailoring the interactions and what we think is going to be more appropriate to the circumstances for that, that individual business or customer, and making sure that we're addressing their specific needs and helping them in the most effective way. So our journey is really about understanding um, the areas uh, which are in line with the, 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 the types of businesses that we serve today, but also in adjacent markets where we can see that there's even more value to be had by applying analytics, things like driving greater efficiency out of business processes um, and, and enabling our clients to help their customers uh, to help themselves effectively. Do you think that being involved and doing that kind of AI work for like the last number of years has kind of set you up better to take advantage of the the kind of recently relevant, the, the recent kind of really rapid developments? Because it seems to have kind of escalated really quickly in the last two years. Yeah, I, I think there are, there are a few things. So one is, you know, we are very strong in a specific area around the, the credit risk space, um, the collections industry, uh, recoveries. As a technology company, we're looking at ways that our technology can deliver be better benefits and outcomes to our clients. Now, where the use of data analytics and in particular kind of machine learning and the application of AI makes a difference is it, it elevates the way that our clients can now work with their customers. So. 
aligning AI with the development of our technology platforms and making sure we can deploy it in an effective way really is important. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, is, is there, like when you're engaging with clients, are there gaps in their understanding or maybe hyper expectations in some way that get in the way of, of progress? Like, are, are there misunderstandings about what AI can do and can't do that hinder like their ability to understand what you're trying to bring to them? There's a few scenarios. So one scenario is, you know, how is AI perceived generally by the public? And that comes through then in uh, consumer forums. So I was, I was recently at a, a conference where we spent a lot of time talking about how do you cater for the perceptions in the real world around how AI can help people. So, you know, there's kind of a, is AI here to take my job? Is AI here to to kind of not work in my best interest. So th- that's a concept that our clients have to deal with and their customers um, kind of uh, raise concerns about. So that's one area where we need to help. I, th- I think generally everything at the moment seems to have AI attached to it somewhere. So it's recognizing if I've got multiple um, systems and multiple applications that are doing different things and they're applying, and they're applying uh, different models at different stages in order to provide a better outcome, are all of those different technologies and applications joined up? And is there a continuum of, of what is it I'm actually trying to achieve here? So if I build a model that, that f- predicts the best possible outcome for the customer, and then I just start to chop up those journeys and have different spot solutions that are applying different AI models or machine learning models at different stages, is there some kind of counter uh, intuitive or counteractive uh, result that we get as a consequence of that? piece of uh, the process being applied in a completely different way to the overall um, expectations. And, and, and funnily enough, in collections, as an example, the whole point about building models in collections historically is that you, you build a model to predict an outcome and then you want to change that outcome. So you're trying to break those models. So this is where I, AI does have a big benefit because you know, you're evolving those models as, as things change and, and constantly looking for ways to improve um, the interactions with those customers. That's a really interesting notion that you said, uh, the interaction of, of different models and how they talk to each other and drive decisions. And do you observe that actually, especially in today's world, that you've got unintended consequences of, of different modules essentially driving slightly different decisions? And if you've got lots and lots of these, uh, ultimately trying to unpick a myriad of those decision-making processes can have unintended consequences, consequences at the customer outcome point. One, one simple example is if you have uh, a strategy level um, segmentation that's based on predicted outcomes and those predicted outcomes are that you would always attempt to make a contact with a customer at a certain time, then you pass those customers into the, the contact activity and you have another model there that's then predicting what's the best time to call this customer that wasn't previously in place that that model could then be driving a completely different interaction with the customer that isn't going to deliver the same outcomes as you originally had in your strategic model um, that created the segmentation in the first place. So I, I've seen that in the past where you're trying to predict what are the volumes of accounts that are going to flow to a certain node, and then all of a sudden those those numbers are going to change as a consequence of applying some different modeling at a point in that journey, which is going to change the outcomes and therefore change the the expectations. Is there a name for that? Do you know? Is there a technical name for like 
checking all these models through their kind of their chain. It seems to be kind of a chain metaphor. Not, not one that I'm familiar with, Dan. <laughs> there's, there's a yeah, there's a, something called model congruency. Um, so consistency and consistency of data, consistency and completeness of data, and then congruency of models. I.e., they're all compatible. They're really talking in the same direction, and it's not an easy one to solve. And 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 we actually see something similar in in adjacent sectors as well, especially in the energy sector, where we have very similar use cases. Terry, as, as you do in in the collections and the debt space, is um, a set, certain set of models um, being used for for strategy high-level strategy, and then, as you say, certain set of models talking, okay, within that strategy, what's the contact quote optimization algorithm that we need to apply? But actually, they're not compatible with each other. So it is, it is, it, it does feel that it's an increasing challenge with uh, a wider adoption of, of, let's call it AI or, or uh, machine learning that previously um, there would have been a few models around the place, but now there are lots and lots of models trying to talk to each other. So, yeah, it's... Uh, Interesting to see that you, that you've seen that as well. I, I was just uh, overall here. Um, I think it's um, interesting, Terry. Your your company there has a broad kind of view across the company and all the different stages in a in a process. And I was wondering if there's uh, certain parts of that process that were kind of more open to being using AI, more open to this kind of be adopting this wave of innovation or is it across the whole business that you kind of see people rushing to adopt AI or not rushing to it? Is there any kind of areas that you look at and say, oh, this is this is the kind of one I'd, I'd apply my AI to first and then I'd move here and then I'd do this? Yeah, I, I think for our clients, um, and, and helping them to get value from the use of AI or deep learning models. It, it's about picking real business problems um, and finding ways to um, apply that type of analysis um, and insight to make a difference. So for me, it's about kind of turning it into practical value that they can put an ROI around. So we do things from identifying potential fraud risk, for example, in the supply chain finance uh, journey making sure that we're looking out for the particular types of scenarios where we suspect fraud is taking place and using AI models to evolve that. So, you know, people who are trying to commit fraud, they're they're constantly changing the way that they work. So you want to pick up those patterns of behavior as quickly as possible and apply them in an effective way. So flagging the risk um, so that then the client can take that risk and, and actually apply some actions to try and mitigate it. And then conversely, when you look at things like um, models for predicting um, time to contact customer or even kind of more innovative ways now looking at big data around the speech or the the, the, the context and the text that's being captured around an interaction with a customer and recognizing certain patterns within that. So could this customer potentially have a financial hardship? Could they have a health risk? Is there some some sort of short-term trigger that's been identified because of the language that's being used or the text that's being written that allows you then to intervene in a very quick way? I think where, where that value comes is you're able to say to the clients, look, if you could 
spot this as a red flag straight away and do something about it, would you change the way that you're communicating with that customer? Yes, I would. I'd probably still get to the same outcome, but I'd get there much more quickly and, and with a better experience for the customer. So in, in the world that we operate, yes, we could do lots and lots of things um, using AI across many, many different decision points. That's absolutely true. But actually, if you turn it into something that's material and you can put a return on investment around it, it's a lot easier for our clients um, to work with us and for us to work with them in order to do something that's materially different and improves their business and their customers' experience. That's very interesting. So there's a couple of uh, kind of points there that I, I'd be great to pick up. The first is on uh, that notion of picking up on, on, on emotional cues, as it were. So um, it's, it's almost uh, as if we, we're starting to border on... Um, artificial sentience as well as artificial intelligence. So do, do you see an increasing demand or need for the, the AI solutions that you develop to pick up the emotional aspect of, of, of predictive uh, models, as it were, to not necessarily predict customer behaviors, but actually to anticipate how customers are feeling as well? Do, do you see that trend in, in the demand? I mean, to be honest, as it stands right now, Dan, that isn't kind of a burning question that we get asked day in, day out. But what I, what I can say is, and and this is something that um, uh, you know, I had conversations about many times, uh, it's about using AI in a way that isn't spooky or scary for the end customer. So, for example, it, it, you know, if you're starting to predict that this customer's family size might increase by one, and you, you you tailor a conversation around that, that's going to be perceived as a, a, a very strange thing. So I think it, y- you have to be sensitive to what it is you're trying to predict. And, and, it, and if it almost comes across that you are trying to be um, sentient about it, that you're positioning it in a way that doesn't frighten the customer or scare the customer or lead to them kind of having a maybe a, a slight of a, a knee-jerk reaction, which is, oh, hold on a second, that's a little bit, how dare you kind of touch on that? personal matter or something that's that's very personal to them. So I think it's, you've got to be very careful. It isn't something that we're um, spending a lot of time at the moment, but it, I definitely can see that, you know, as a capability moving forwards, having the ability to perceive how a customer is going to react to a certain situation and giving them the perception that you understand their circumstances and can empathize with those circumstances, whether that's through, you know, a, a chatbot communicating with them in a more empathetic way and, and offering them, you know, the right signpost to get to the right help as quickly as possible. You know, for me, that feels like it, it's a much more positive way of even creating the perception of a sentient being that's more empathetic to their circumstances and trying to get them to an outcome that's appropriate for them. Do you have opinions, Dan, on this? It's interesting. So we, we, we do we do talk a lot about this in, 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 in similar sectors. So generally, I mean, Terry, you're right. Customers want organizations to know enough about them to help them, but not that much to spook them. <laughs> and it's a fine line. It's a fine line there. So we talk a lot about uh, identifying vulnerable customers. Uh, but in reality is, we're for, probably for the right reasons, we, we're not allowed to ask individuals about certain protected attributes, which would enable us to, to, to identify them as such. Uh, so it's, it's a fine line. Uh, it is actually one we, we do get asked, uh, not, not to, to, to the level of detail of, okay, is it a sentient being or not? Uh, but I, I, it, I feel it is one that will uh, increase, let's say increase in uh, relevance over the coming period, especially with the cost of living crisis putting pressure on, on f- uh, financial well-being. 
Yeah, I, I see the, the like just again I, I, some of the words that you're using, Terry, like are practical, uh, value based. You know, how do I make a like functional type impact that people can measure, and that kind of brings you in one direction, I think, and then okay, how do I create experiences that are empathetic or that are deeply intuitive to the user or that I understand their life in some way? It's kind of like almost like a next order or different order of question. And I, I'm, I must put my hand up and go like, I'm fairly skeptical of the um, emotional um, and sentience a- end of the scale in the AI. And I uh, it's just because being around sentiment systems so long that they're barely good enough to tell you whether something is positive or negative. Never mind having different scales for positive and negative or layered emotions. And I, I think that I'm in danger of going off on a hobby horse now, but the I, I think that when you're in a, com- a difficult conversation with, with somebody, the opportunity to have the time to spend with them that you can explore their life in a little bit more because people are complex, their lives are complex, their needs are complex. And it's it's putting the person in that, setting them up for that conversation and helping them, maybe guide them, co-piloting through that conversation. But you're really helping two people make a connection. And that because uh, people, language is really difficult. Like the way we uh, say things, like uh, you, you, you probably get this... Um, You've heard this a million times. Someone says, oh, are you up to anything on Friday night? And you go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going for dinner with my wife, actually. We're going to a lovely restaurant. We've been waiting to go. And it's, oh, I hope you have a lovely time, right? There was a buried loop. There was a buried loop in that conversation, which is you said that you were going somewhere on the Friday night because you didn't want that person to ask you, hey, do you fancy coming out with me on this Friday night? There's a preemption going on, right? And so maybe computers will scale up to all the kind of hidden loops and conversations and the different types of conversational design. But it's like humans are very complex and our the way we say things is very n- nuanced and the, the context in which, which we say things are very nuanced. And so I'm, I'm just a little, I'm, I'm a little skeptical of the, the hyper-intelligent kind of technology really feeling like it, it knows us in some way. And I, I use that term, by the way, in, in Webio, we talk about like knowing the feeling that you're known. So when you're speaking or interacting with a service, you feel like you're known because they don't ask you stupid questions. They, they kind of know what you might be asking. You feel known. You feel like it's not a big step to be known by these people. So I, I get the the impact that that could have. But I think it's just a huge step for AI to just run that themselves. Yeah, no, no. I, I think there's one aspect, particularly within credit risk, that's interesting, which is I, I think people can understand is somebody in financial hardship or not. I think they can understand is somebody got some health risks or, you know, got some serious health issues or have, have they experienced a life event that's going to make a, a significant change to the way they're going to behave in the future. But actually, somebody's attitude to paying is very different. So why somebody will or won't pay can be very different. Oh, I shouldn't be paying for water because it falls from the sky. You know, it's an attitude. I'm not necessarily going to pick that up straight away. So being able to have the ability to get it into understanding that 
will add value. So there are definitely some scenarios where, you know, the, the deeper you can understand the attitudes or the behaviors of a customer, not not just the, the kind of the cold, hard facts, the more useful that will be in the way you tailor the interactions thereafter. I wonder how you get to that. <laughs> well, that's that's an interesting one. So, so is there a is there a risk, therefore, that uh, some some places might try to cut corners there and start producing archetypes of a certain nature, and then almost putting certain population groups into pigeonholes just because it's an easier thing to do, not necessarily because it's right? Because that's a really valid example that there might be there might be individuals who will, who will reason that way, but actually it might be easier uh, for somebody to say we will do that kind of profiling and then then associate somebody's behavior with, with another population group. So is there a risk of that? I, th- I think it's a fair challenge. I, what I would suggest is eventually you would get to those subgroups anyway because they just will not pay and you'll, you'll go through the cost of trying to get to a point of understanding what, what is the reason for not you know, honoring this agreement that we have. So I, th- I think it's a case of, if I can spot that earlier, can I interact with the customer in a different way? So you could create a segment. We need to be careful. Obviously, you don't want to create biases. Um, and, and that's something that's very important. But if you are predicting that this is the outcome you're going to get to, and you can shortcut the journey to get there, i.e. you can reduce your the amount of time and effort you spend chasing that customer or um, or trying to, to get to a resolution with that customer, then, then, then there is value in it, but it, it's a very fine line, I agree. A kind of a related point, Dan, which I think you were raising earlier, like as well as the, the customer having attitudes, uh, the organization itself might have different attitudes across the organization. Uh, how might we kind of look at that as a enhancer or barrier to adoption? Any any ideas on that? Yes, of course. So, I mean, what, what we do find, and it, it is an interesting one, how there's, we, even within organizations, there tends to be a very diverse uh, uh, range of attitudes towards machine learning and AI. Certain functions uh, will, will be very, very open to its adoption and actually will be championing them, championing them proactively, whilst other places within the same business will be very cautious and very risk-averse, let's say, and not want to go on the journey, and actually might act as an impediment across across the business. So actually trying to take everybody in, a, in an enterprise on that machine learning and AI journey can be a challenge. Um, so yeah, Terry, I don't know if you've got had experiences of that, and actually having almost to play the middleman and navigate those internal dynamics uh, so that... Uh, so that the, those internal tensions don't really uh, get in the way, or conversely, that there is some compromise ground to move things forward. Not, not specifically when I'm talking about kind of a, us deploying our technology, but I think where we do get some because we we have a, an applied science uh, function, and they do look at some big data um, opportunities. So we're looking through reams and reams of data, and it may be that we're trying to spot, um, for example. Uh, different shapes of vehicles of a certain type from reams and reams of pictures. Um, and, and I think it, it, in those scenarios, we, we, we're trying to convince the client that using this technology is going to bring a better outcome for what you're trying to achieve. So I, there are scenarios where we, we, we go into that kind of deeper discussions with the clients. But if I go back to the more traditional credit risk space, it, it doesn't tend to be that. It's more about how we convince our clients 
to apply this technology and the values it will bring and to make sure that the messaging that's going out to the wider society as a whole is the right messaging. So, you know, the use of AI is, isn't, isn't scary. It's there to create benefit and improve experiences. Do you see that media is actually playing a role here that it shouldn't be playing? And as much as that it, it is creating this scare story that's uh, the all-seeing eye, the robots will take over the world and, and destroy the soul out of us. Do, <laughs> do you see that that's actually playing, uh, playing in the minds of some, some people? I, I suspect there is there are certain articles or there is content out there that um, it, it kind of dumbs down the whole AI capability. But I also think there are some good articles out there that, that give a you know much balanced, better balanced view of what AI can do and how it helps. And you, you do see in kind of um, mainstream news when there are good news stories around how AI is being applied to spot cancers, for example, and is much more effective at spotting those cancers. Um, so I, I think there's a balance. I don't think it's all one way, but it was interesting that I was at this conference last week and that the, the whole subject around consumer groups and the pressure that, that, that they're applying in certain markets, definitely, I think, in some markets, that message is maybe more around beware AI rather than look at how AI can add value. So I don't think it's unique just to say, Broadly, everybody's got the same perception. I think there's, a, there's, there's probably differences across different geographies. So it's interesting because you, you, you kind of are, I think, coming to the edge of the area there of like the customer duty of care and how can AI really help in that? Because it's, it's not all uh, AI being you know, knowing your most intimate soul and being able to put the exact right advertisements in front of you to convert, though there is some of that. But there is also the ability for AI to be used to help companies manage duty of care. Do you have any any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think this is probably one of the areas that's, that's very strong. Particularly if you think, if you're in a conversation with a customer and you're able to spot, maybe it's, it's chains of of chains of words that they're using or the language that they're using or some references within the language or the text that they're using if it's uh, you know a, a conversational messaging being able to spot those predictors and then being able to flag them to the person or the agent that's interacting with the customer and allowing them to move that conversation on in a very different way very quickly and maybe opening it up you know by the way, are you aware that this 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 uh, helpline is available or this service is available to help you in certain scenarios? For me, I think that's a real big positive. Um, and and I, the, the sooner that that value and the helpfulness that can be produced by using AI in that way becomes apparent and recognized as a benefit to the, the consumers out there, the better. Because, you know, one of the things I historically have hated in the, the the credit risk industry is if somebody has a financial hardship or vulnerability, the questioning sometimes that they have to go through before they get to that point, if they're not volunteering it or maybe they don't want to uh, offer that information up straight away, it, 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 it's, it's absurd really. So, you know, long, long of a thought that if somebody is aware that, that a, a particular customer has um, a health a health difficulty, uh, but they don't want to necessarily talk about it. 
at least if you're aware that there may be something here that you need to be sensitive to, it allows the agent to take a very different empathetic view and kind of move that conversation in a different direction rather than the customer have to go through maybe four or five lines of questioning that's just inappropriate or unhelpful for them. I mean, it certainly is the case that the use of, and this is this is automation as much as AI, is the ability to stitch data and information together in real time and get that speed to insight. That's that's a huge step forward and it can be a force for good. So it's essentially being an assistive technology, not a substitutional technology. Uh, because as you say, Terry, you might be able to uh, lean from a couple of questions and then linking those with some other information and data that you've got to a decision much faster uh, than, than you would with just one human being trying to go through the motions uh, uh, with, with individuals. So, and that, that's, that's, that's something that we keep, keep saying that uh, in, in similar contexts is that AI is, a, it, initially at least, it's, it's an assistive technology. It's meant to enable the human, uh, the human intervention to be more targeted, more meaningful and quicker. Um, it's not necessarily meant to replace it. I like the idea of being able to spot, obviously, vulnerabilities and and other aspects of a customer conversation. But I I was just remembering, oh, maybe it was a few weeks ago where the um, FCA came. I think it was the FCA came in and said, "Hey, you, Mister Bank, um, when you were selling a product to customer A, you didn't explain the costs of." That product to the customer, and therefore you were mis-selling that product because you didn't, you didn't, you didn't have it. You had a duty of care to explain it to that person, and you didn't. And they came in really fast um, to, you know, and heavy to, to that organization. And I get the sense that that's just the first of many interventions that are coming in in financial services around not as as would be seen the difficult and challenging area of credit and collections. But the difficult and challenging area of I'm a financial services provider, I'm selling difficult and maybe complex products to people. Those people are not always able to understand what is involved or the costs and benefits of different approaches. And if you are not able to explain that to them, even in an automated conversation, you're going to be liable for that. And I think there's a whole extension of that duty of care in in ways that people don't fully even appreciate right now how that's going to be permeating the entire customer conversation. I don't know if you've seen any of that, uh, Dan or Terry, anywhere you've you've been. Not not, not specifically the example you gave. I mean the, the the scenarios I suggested earlier are ones that are more practical based on the incoming conversation from the customer. But but that that scenario that you just painted there, I could see, you know. Actually, you can use AI in the same way as you, you are for predicting the customer's behaviors, that actually the discussion that's taking place between the business and the customer isn't appropriate, and therefore flagging up there's a potential conduct risk issue here. So you know, if you, rather than getting slapped with a huge fine, you're using the technology to spot the issues before they happen and maybe flagging them and escalating that call to a manager. So it, it's not something we've done or, or built or that there's out there at the moment, but you know, it, you could use it both ways. It could be based on the incoming conversation with the customer, as well as the outgoing information that's being shared with the customer to predict whether or not this is heading to a potential um, fine or an outcome that's not satisfactory. 
from a conduct risk point of view. No, it's 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 absolutely the right thing to to challenge and question the the fairness and ethics of of um, uh, AI driven decisions, but we just always need to be cognizant of um, of of the wider fairness and bias of decisions that we're making as a society. So that's that, that's something that I, I definitely see is lost in in many conversations that we're having. It's um I think it's front and center with um like I'm not just saying it, but a webio we we like we've built what we're doing from the ground up to be really aligned with the um the well I would say the well um signaled AI um European Union legislation on and ethics and it was kind of fairly I think it was fairly obvious what was going to happen with there um but Terry with, with your own like as I was saying you you know you you're across a lot of the the, the business, like in all the different areas, um, it, it must be a real challenge to manage something like AI ethics and how you like how you structure yourself to do that. Or maybe there's particular departments that have to be trained or particular areas that need to be. If you were to kind of having been through that journey, if you were to try and give a couple of tips to others who are trying to make their AI technology ethical and fair what maybe tips would you give them to maybe watch out for or take special care with? We need to avoid model bias and it's definitely a risk that has to be mitigated. And our teams are very much focused around that. I think when I, when I discuss this with them, um, their kind of general view is it's not just about the analytics or the machine learning or the use of AI. It's more about the, the quality of the models um, and making sure that the data sets that are being used to create those models um, and the quality of that data um, is absolutely um, the best it can possibly be. So in order to to make sure you don't have those kind of biases in your models, you've got the right focus um, on the quality of the data sets um, and understanding that they are truly representative of the kind of challenge or decision that you're trying to um, resolve or predict. So for me, you know, there are a number of very good practices and our data scientists will, will talk at long length around how they can avoid um, bias in models. Um, but the source data and the quality of that data um, is, is fundamental um, as well. It, it reminds me a little bit of that story of um, they were in, in a, the hospital system, I think it was in the UK, and they were trying to figure out why certain people were late for appointments and they were doing all the... Um, you know, age group and demographics and some psychographics. And so they just couldn't figure out why certain people were always late and maybe not turning up. And what they eventually found out was that they were all taking public transport and they'd, they'd missed connections. So the bus didn't turn up or they missed the connection. So there was, you know, staggered impact that they were, they were going to miss. And so if you're not collecting that sort of data, you're never going to see that in the data set. Um, so it just always kind of reminds me of you you don't always have all the data that you you think you need to cover the situation like the situation might not be covered by the data you have so uh i think that's i I don't know how to get around that where we are because we have to collect data very specifically i think we can't just grab all the data around us and just go well we'll we'll throw this into the mixer and see what happens like you have to be very considered about why you're asking for particular pieces of data, how you're storing them and how long you're storing it for. So yeah, I guess my my kind of 
kind of caveat on that is the the data that you you're trying to use in your models where is it coming from do you have permission to use it and i'm 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 we, we had this conversation before Dan, a couple of episodes ago the difference between kind of real world data and synthetic data and there's a lot of you know very positive papers coming out on the use of synthetic data to 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 generate models and stuff but i'm still a little wary of the implications of using synthetic data over and over again over many cycles in a model and what might happen um like it, I, I think I, another company I know, they say, would you rather use a model that's trained? Like if if if, if you're driving a racing car and all the data is generated by this car driving around the city and generating real life data, would you rather use that data or data that was generated from a synthetic model? Like which one do you think is the best representation of reality? Um, but I think that might also just be just maybe a category error in thinking about data. I mean, it's it's an interesting subject. Yeah, as, as you say, we do we did talk about this actually. Since since then, we there was an interesting uh, seminar here at the Bay Center around the use of synth- synthetic data across different sectors, but mostly focusing on the financial services industry. Um, the methods used today are reasonably limited. I was a little bit not disappointed, but surprised how little innovation there is in the space of of synthetic data generation. It's essentially sampling from already available very, very large data sets. Um, There is very little thought being put into generating data from first principles, uh, which which is an entirely new new field of research, um, still in in its nascent days. But one of the things that we definitely need as, as data scientists need to be very cognizant of is that real-world data generating process. Um, And specifically what I mean is that the data that we consume will have been generated potentially by decisions that we've previously made. Um, So we need to be very careful and cognizant of of what has influenced or driven the ability to generate data in the first place. Um, So that missingness, not random, is really quite, quite important. And the generalizability, Terry, to your point, generalizability of data across all the customer base populations that we want to apply models on we need to be very very careful about it does bring me on to um maybe we've we spent a, a long time on our hobby horse um which is is ai i'm just wondering um terry with the again the broad view that you have like ai is one trend right it's one big trend but are you seeing other like mega trends hitting the industry that you think are worth paying attention to there, there are a number of things. Generally, um, people are feeling a need to reduce costs as much as possible. So anywhere where you can apply technology, anywhere where you can apply uh, data and analytics to better differentiate how you interact with customers by choosing the right digital processes, by choosing the best digital journeys, by minimizing the amount of uh, physical resources you need to apply. All all of those kind of common themes that we're seeing in a lot of industries at the moment. I think there was an article um, just recently about the increases in costs in the SME world, for example, um, where because of just the cost of living, the increases in cost of energy, uh, just the general cost of doing business are so much higher. all organizations are looking at ways that they could be more efficient. Um, 
I'll, I'll give some examples. We've done quite a bit in the analytical optimization space. So if, for example, you've got multiple channels that you can use to communicate with your customers um, and you've got a finite amount of resource and you're expecting the amount of contact you have to manage in the coming weeks to increase because cost of living is putting more pressure on your customers and therefore you're going to have a bigger volume to deal with. Who do you treat in which way in order to make that size of business still efficient, but able to cope with the increases in volume? So you're not just ramping up your costs. You're doing things in a much more analytically driven, optimized way that ensures that you're still going to get the same outcomes or better outcomes than you have historically. So for me, this is this is really where businesses are looking to get the best possible use of um not just the, the the new models and the way those models are trained, but how you build that into your kind of day-to-day business model and structure to ensure that you can be more effective for the now and into the future. D- Dan, are you seeing anything that's mega trendy around that isn't AI driven specifically? Yes, efficiency optimization. I mean, exactly as Terry, you described it, across all sectors, so energy, retail, uh, insurance, banking, Efficiency optimization is is the the show in town. Obviously, with big cost pressures on businesses from from you know, fees being being paid to paid to technology providers like like Google and, and Amazon to, to staff costs and uh, everything associated with increased losses. You know, having a, reducing those uh, operational costs is is quite key. What's quite interesting is is just taking the workforce on the journey as well, so that uh, people are taken on the journey of, of uh, this is there to make their lives easier. It's not there to uh, to try and, just, again, substitute uh, value, hugely valuable work that individuals are doing. I must say, I, I had this conversation with someone during the week about um, AI, and it was, again, to go back to kind of media stories that AI is going to make a lot of people redundant, it's going to take a lot of jobs, and it's going you know, maybe, but I have yet to see it. And what I'm seeing is that where AI is doing or automation is doing work, it kind of frees up space for companies to do the work that they couldn't get at. And even more so that there was work there that they had no idea that they're ever going to address. And now that comes into their funnel. They weren't even seeing the work that was in the future for them. And so Again, just from the world that we're living and, and and taking what we see in reality, not seeing a lot of that. And I was saying this to, to to my colleague, and he said, "Yeah, but he is seeing some companies where when people are um, let go or where people leave the business, they try and and make up for that person leaving with like better efficiency and better operations. So they haven't let anybody go, but they haven't." replace people that have left. So there might be some hidden figures there. Um, am I, 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 we all experience the world in our own kind of idiosyncratic journey that we go through. Are you guys seeing anything different? Am I uh, um, kind of in my own little box here experiencing the world as I am? I mean, I think those things are fair. I, I wonder, um, just from a society as a whole, if the use of, 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 of AI can influence, and I'm not talking about social engineering here, I'm just talking about spotting specific things that cost society as a whole a lot of money. So for example, you could predict diabetes type 2 
and you could do something more proactive to prevent that, it, it, it's going to have a you know a big overall impact on society. Whether people heed that, you know, notice all that information you're putting out there, but the better we are at identifying things that are helpful to society as a whole, and and generally helping people understand why that's a better way, maybe to to live your life or to do X, Y, and Z. I can only see that, you know, kind of having an overall positive impact. But I'm I'm so glad you said that because my other note to myself here was differentiation and the lack of, like you were saying, the like your synthetic data, Dan, that you weren't seeing the kind of rate of innovation that you were hoping. I, I'm looking at it going, what changes when everything's digital? Like, how can you actually re-engineer, like to use that old 80s phrase, re-engineer or restructure or remake an experience because it's now digital? Um, and, you know, the example I, I kind of keep in mind is, if if someone can't pay twenty pounds at the end of at the last Friday of the month, but they could pay ten pounds the following Monday, and another ten pounds on the Wednesday, they'll have achieved the same outcome. And yet, we have not managed to give them that kind of flexibility digitally without any um, penalties. And there's no reason, like on earth, why that person should suffer from the fact that they wanted to split it up into two payments. They had something happening that weekend. Their kids had to go to basketball or go to some event or whatever. I, I think we're still paving the cow path a little bit like with, with, with the structures and processes that we go through. And I'm, I'm just waiting for that, like that fitness moment where you're, because you're wearing an Apple watch or a Fitbit or something, it tells you, you know, you should get up and walk around for a while. You've been sitting too long and maybe over the course of, a year that stops you getting a blood clot or stops you uh, from, from developing symptoms that you, you you wouldn't have if you just stood up and walked around for five minutes every couple of hours. So yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat there. Yeah, a lot of that is, is I think, driven by the, uh, the very diverse nature of technology adoption within businesses. Because within the same organization, you have almost 19th century technology or processes trying to, to integrate and sync with 21st century uh, AI. Um, and just to take that very concrete example of payments, I worked in a finance department in, in a large organization for a long time. And I know for sure that even today, those places operate on Excel spreadsheets. It's easy. There are fixed pricing models that should probably built in Excel 97 and then just upgraded over time. And they just expect a monthly payment and, and no questions asked. So there's a whole infrastructure and an operating model that's been set up quite rightly with a different process in mind. And that incompatibility is, is largely due to the, to the massive disconnect in, uh, in sophistication of, of technology and processes within, within organizations. Now, the good news is we are seeing that change uh, because, because of consumer demand, let's, let's face it, because individuals do want that flexibility. So businesses are reacting to, to, to where people are really going and, and flocking to. So I, I think that will change over time, but we, we still, there's still a lot of ground to catch up there. Yeah. And it really, uh, it, you remind me of some things about Excel sheets and about setting up APIs or setting up file transfers and stuff. And when you're trying to get one part of a business to cooperate with another part of a business, their, you know, their priorities aren't always aligned. So the IT department could be pulled in many, many different directions 
and you're frankly just last on the list or on the second half of the list. And it doesn't matter how compelling you're, let's automate this process and create a, an amazing customer journey. It like we don't have the IT resources to put to this. So we're, we're just going to move on, right? Reprioritize. Um, yeah, I think I, I think we've all seen that. Terry, is there anything else you think that might be interesting to raise for our interview here today? So I just say uh, at Quoco, we're 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 doing a lot of work um, looking at how we can take big data issues um, and identify patterns of behaviour or use AI and apply it in a way that will make a difference to to real life situations and. You know, help with real life problems. So th- that that could be quite extensive uh, research into spotting, um, you know, images from a, a very wide landscape through to predicting the behaviours of a particular portfolio. Um, you know, we historically are well known for our ability to take data, uh, apply analytical insight, and turn that into an actionable activity through technology. That's what we do. Um, and I think sometimes the the perception of what AI is and how it can be applied is often bigger than the reality of putting something in, using it to make a difference and getting a better outcome. And I think for us, it's about making sure we can work with our clients to take them on that journey, to help them understand how you actually get a material benefit and how that will actually deliver a better outcome for their customers. So we'll look for lots of different and innovative ways that we can use, take big data sets and, and look for trends and behaviors and share that, whether it would be with the public sector, with the finance sector or any of the sectors out there. Um, and there'll be multiple different models and, and things that we could do, but ultimately it has to get to a better outcome, whether it's a better outcome for the client or a better outcome for the customer and in line with regulation and in line with the way that you know consumers perceive these services to be delivered so that that's really fundamentally what we're trying to do is is, is to, to use ai to enable better things to happen yeah i i i, I echo that and i think uh, one of the underreported aspects of ai and machine learning out there are the amount of projects that are just you know hugely complicated and then just delivered no value at the end of the day like they did something really technically magnificent but so what like it just didn't move the needle for anyone and if we'd all just been uh, doing slightly better in some other job we'd all be a lot better off um dan is there anything on your on your mind about that that kind of subject uh, it's no yeah yeah completely agree with that i would uh, yeah i would yeah, i use the phrase often uh the the whole pipeline is only as strong as its weakest link and if that weakest link is that we've got a, a two pin plug and a three pin socket then no matter how powerful this supercomputer is, <laughs> if you can't plug it, uh, it ain't going to work. So yeah, I think that that's that last mile of the leg is is yeah still still by far the biggest challenge in uh, delivering the value. But Terry totally agree that it's just the outcomes which should, should always be at the forefront. Well, I, of the mind. I experienced that recently in France when I turned up with a plug adapter for Italy, and guess what? It didn't work. So uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the sharp end of that one. Listen, folks, I'm I'm thrilled to have you on today, uh, Terry. Uh, just absolutely gifted to have you on the the podcast today and I really thank you for giving us your time I know you're very busy Dan I know you're stretched around the world delivering projects every single day so again I'd like to thank you for bringing your expertise to the show it's a pleasure to join you Paul and Dan and good to see you again 
Thanks for joining us for that amazing conversation. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss any of these future leaders talking about the changes in the credit and collections business. We'll also be pushing out weekly updates so that you get all the news as it happens in the industry. And also, why not drop into webio.com and see what we're doing these days.